Hey, 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 it's time. Lee Jackson here with you, America's finest watchman. Hey, yeah, baby, let's do another one of these episodes. It's so exciting. I can't contain them. I love talking about watches because I love watches. And you guys, if you're listening to this, you should love them too. And if you don't, you will. Because I'm telling you, this is going to be nothing but fun as always. So let's talk about watches, shall we? So last time we were talking about Rolexes, let's talk about Vacheron and Favorite of all time. Love them, love them, love them. Um, for my money, my opinion, value high-end watch right now. And I look all the time. And if you look at values and what things are going for, Vacherons are always very well priced. On a decent Vacheron for around 2000 or less. And you can't find that as a paddock, and you can't find that as an Audemars. Nothing. Just the quality is stupendous. Um, there's a lot of argument who's the finest watch in the world. And I've heard many, many people say, I've heard Ron, and even some people say Audemars. And those three are the top. Now, the way I would rank them was I would give the nod to Paddock by Vacheron. They're pretty close. One thing about Vacheron. Uh, it's two men, just like Paddock and Philippe, Vacheron and Constantine, or Constantine, whichever way you want to say it, started in 1755, and it is the longest-running original, meaning it hadn't been interrupted and stopped for a while and come back, the oldest-running watch company there is. 1755, they made watches, in those days pocket watches, for Napoleon and Josephine and a lot of other people. They were... Um, kings and queens. Remember, everything was a pocket watch. Paddock's before night, before World War One, was all pocket watches, and so was Vacheron. And a lot of those old watches are now being because they get a um, custom case that fits it, and they take the pocket watch and they adapt it and they turn it into a wristwatch. The problem is they're huge. They're like forty-eight millimeters. They're gigantic, and the little ones, the little pockets that were women's, they would be a better fit, but they're too small for men. They want big which i have told you before i don't agree with i don't i don't like big watch on some of you big guys they look better but you know if you want a sport watch it's great get a big watch but if you want a dress watch or something more luxury uh, not so organic watches so my size i stop at around 38 39 millimeters and that's about it 38 is about as big as i'd like to go even though i have i look at myself and they don't look good on me and i'll tell you how you can tell this is my rule of thumb that I always did. Listen, hold your arm down to your side and walk up to a mirror and look how it looks it's to other people walking into a room. And that to me is the, how does it look to others? I know how it looks to me, but how does it look to others? And a lot of times you'll get a uh, awakening that you didn't realize away, good or bad. So like I have these big tanks that I wear because I like tank watches more than round. And I go walk up some of them. I don't think so. They don't look rich. They don't look luxurious. They look kind of eh, even though they're very good watches. So for me, it would like to be 38 is about it. But I have some larger ones that I wear. All right, so let's go back to Vacheron. So Vacheron was very, very high to go. Everything's handmade. And the attention to detail is amazing. They have developed their own movements over the movements, but what they do is they, they would buy any Bosch from somebody else, which is the base movement itself. And usually they were buying from either Jaeger LeCoultre, Frederick Piguet, not the same as Audemars Piguet, Frederick Piguet or P 
Piguet. P-I-G-U-E-T is a very high-end movement maker. Vacheron uses their movements. Paddock, Audemars, you name it. Very expensive. I have a Chopard that's absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. has their movement in it. Uh, they are not making movements anymore for sale for other brands. They were bought out by uh, Blancpain Rayville. So more. So what a lot of these major companies, the big ones are doing is making their own movements, which in my opinion is the way you can really tell a good watch. Do they make their own move? If they buy movements, it can be good, but it's what's the difference between everybody else buying that movement? You know, the case looks different, the dial and so on, but the heart of the watch which is what's going to keep it running for the next hundred years is the same as everybody else's. Now, that being said, there are, excuse me, some very uh, movements. Etta's excellent. They're not a bad movement at all, but they're not of the quality of Paddock or Vacheron or Audemars. They're just not. They're a snoop below, but they're still a very good watch, a very good movement. I mean, Cartier uses them. Omega uses them. A lot of great companies movement. Let's use them. And, and while I'm talking about Etta, Etta's ETA, and what Etta actually came from was Eterna, believe it or not, which is a good brand, not well known in the U.S. They're more of a European brand, and a lot of people like Eterna. I would, I was thinking about it last night, Eterna, somewhere around Omega, or maybe a little bit less, but I think Omega's pretty close. And they make tons and tons and tons of movements, and they make like different uh, levels of movements, which I didn't even know. They make regular, a better, and a better, and then they got one that's a chronometer movement, which is their finest. Now, what people do is, or I should say watch companies do, is they buy these movements, and then they finish them themselves. So plain movement that's not too exciting for Meta, and turn it into something beautiful and really good by spending the time and hand designing what's on the metal part of the movement itself. I mean, all the damaskining and all the little marks and all the little just that's all done by hand and the finer you make the quality of the wheels and the, the movement itself the better the movement gets so I've seen watches really crapped out watches without a movements and when you look at them they look like blocks of metal they don't look like anything the gear the weight that swings it all looks like it eh, and that's how it runs like it eh, not great but if you take an out of movement and you're a big company, take the time and the effort to put it through your rigorous design and execution, it can be a hell of a lot better movement. The things you got to think about is not only who makes the movement, but where's the movement come from? You know, was anything done to it? Damascene, has it been worked on? So a lot of these companies will tell you, yeah, we may have a similar at a movement than X, Y, and Z, but they're not the same time and effort into finishing it and polishing it and and designing it and the damascening and doing all this work it's all done by hand Taking a regular movement and turning it into a skeleton every bit of that movement has to be hollowed out by hand it's not done by machine so that's the difference with etta now i have a watch that has an etta chronom chronometer movement which i didn't even know they made and i looked it up and it said yeah there were different levels and this one actually at a level they take that movement, they change it themselves, they work on it, they put damascening, they, they make the tolerance as much, and the watch is a hell of a watch, and it runs great. And if you have a good at a movement in a water-resistant case, it can run for 10, not a problem, 20 years, who knows? 
And that's one of the things I tell people when you're buying watches, you really got to look at the quality of the watch itself. Has it been maintained? Has it always asked dealers? Um, has this been serviced? Is there any kind of warranty? Because they're not interested in doing anything to want to do. It's like a widget. Buy it, sell it. They don't want to mess with it if they don't have to. And that's one thing that I always did. And I know I'm tooting my own horn, but it's true because that's the way I wanted it is that I would take a watch, double check it, clean it up, buff it if I had to, send it out for seeds. I checked every single watch on a, a timing machine, on a computerized timing machine that would tell me how it's running. And you could tell right away if it's running really good or it's that machine doesn't lie. So I that's important. And I will tell you some of the people I have bought from that every watch I've gotten is nothing. I'm still wearing them. They haven't taken any service. And yet when you buy from some of these other people, you wear it and right away you need service. Cheap anymore. Used to be in my day, hundred bucks for service. Now it's two, three hundred. And when you start talking about inexpensive watches and they make it's very price prohibitive. You know, buy a hundred dollar watch and put a two, three hundred dollar service into it. Is it worth it? No, most of the time not, especially if it's a solid gold or it's a good name. Yes, it's worth it. If it's not like an American watch, that's just okay. You know, uh, yellow, gold plated a little better. Is it worth fixing? Is it worth doing? That's a question you have to ask yourself. But remember, it's going to need service every few years. Watches are not water resistant. Most of them, they have a snap together case and it's just metal snapping into metal. And what that really means is dust and so on, because it's not water resistant. It's called a snapback case or a hinge case. When they screw on the back of the case, much, much better. So the more uh, water resistance you can get to the watch, the better the watch is going to hold up long term, because it's all got all these moving parts in there. And anytime you're in there, it screws with it. It slows down, it speeds up, it acts up, it stops, whatever. It's a pain in the ass. Quartz does, unless you really get it wet, keeps running and running and running. So there is a market for quartz watches, just like there's a market for mechanical. I wear mechanical, I wear both. If I don't want to mess around with a watch, I pull the quartz out, put it on my wrist, it's running. And yes, the big boys did make quartz watches. Rolex did on Audemars, they all had a paddock. They all made quartz at one time. Now it's not as exciting, but it was. So I think it's time for us to do our little talk about Vacheron, if you don't mind. So here we go. Let's take our break. Okay, we're back. And again, listening, all my fans appreciate your support through the years. And you know, because this is a podcast, if you could tell your friends, anybody likes watches, because the more people we have listening, the better it gets. Um, so do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Tell your friends. We, uh, we need you. So Vacheron 
was a very fine company that's been around since 1755. They started making wristwatches in the teens, like everybody else. Wristwatches were not available till around World War One. Men thought it was sissified to wear a watch on your wrist. They all had pockets. And yes, part here in the U.S. and the dominant force in pocket watches in the 1800s, early 1900s, was the American pocket watch companies, not the Swiss. And they weren't well known. But then after that, it started changing. People started wearing um, European Swiss watches, and especially Europe. Then you knew about all that. If you're from the U.S., all you really knew about was American. So let's go back to uh, Vacheron. So it's very nice. When you get into older watches, I don't care who makes it. They're much more difficult, much more finicky, much more delicate than the newer watches. Water gets into the case, air gets into the case, uh, dust oil, you name it, anything that gets in there that slows down those gears and the, the balance, we got problems, not going to keep time correctly. Also, older watches have a problem with magnetism, believe it or not. In the old days, which is what regulates the balance wheel, gets magnetized. And then the dumb thing sticks together in spots and it starts running really fast. So if it just starts running like a, like a runaway train, the first thing you should look at is, is it magnetized? And you can buy a little anti-magnetism thing you plug in. It's like a donut almost with a hole in the center. You just turn it on and pass your watch through it and it demagnetizes it. And I've had those problems before where watches were magnetized. I didn't realize that they were running like hell. And I put them through there and they started, they're running perfect. So an older watch is pre-40s. It's a problem. You need magnets. That means speakers. Anything that's mag magnetized can cock up your watch. Okay, so Vacheron big on these gold applied Arabic numbers on the dial, which I love. I mean, it's their look. I told you in one of the earlier podcasts, my dad gave me a big Vacheron when I was a kid, and it had those numbers on the dial. And it's a very utilitarian one, like a beige white dial with gold numbers. But it's not fancy looking, but it's big. Manual wine. His never ran right. In those days, I would have fixed it. Um, but a lot of them have those applied numbers from that period. And I even have a tank from Vacheron like that. So it gives me my, it thrills me to look at that. Because it reminds me of my dad's watch that I lost years and years. So many years ago. Four years ago, I lost his watch. So I'm always looking for it again. You know, I'm always looking on websites to see if it reminds me of his watch. Because they made a lot of these kind of watches. Big, oversized, round, with these gold-applied numbers. They didn't make as many tank watches. Uh, Paddock, I think, made more Vacheron. But the sheer number of Vacheron watches that are out there is pretty amazing. They're really out. There's a lot of Vacherons, older ones, much. I think Vacheron marketed themselves much better. I mean, I have a couple of 1938 Vacherons and I found a very fine Swiss company who made things leather like riding crops and saddles and they make handbags and you've heard yes back in the late 30s they were marketing watches through their stores I guess and I found an ad that had one of my Vacherons on there Vacheron it didn't say Hermes but they were marketing it I thought that was quite interesting. And it's like Tiffany's watches. Tiffany did, but back then they did not. For many, 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 many years. Anything that said Tiffany was somebody else's watch under there. And I even have an I didn't make the movement. And I've had Tiffany. So you got to, with Tiffany, you got to watch out what you're getting. They made everything from 
very fine, like paddocks under their own name. And again, a, a, a I can't say it. A-G-A-Z-I-Z-I. Agazi. Know what I'm talking about? Um, Paul Agazi, very famous, and they put their name on Tiffany's. They put their movements in their tank that was a top hat that had one of their Agazi, I think it is, movement. Really high end, but they're long gone. They're not around anymore. So Tiffany's are good. Just got to watch out what you're buying. So let's go back to Vash Runs. So Vash Runs made everything. They made regular watches. They started in chronographs, out automatics until the 50s, like I think middle 50s or so. And their automatics command a huge, because you're talking about a very, very high-end watch. And it's an automatic, so you don't have to wind it. Like my earlier Vacherons are all manual wind. You take it out of the closet, you got to wind it, you got to set it up. I mean, it's a pain. Once you do that with an automatic, wear it or put it on a wind again, unless you want to change the date, you know, at the end of the month or something. But Vacherons uh, keep very good time. Vacherons that I took in to a watch repair person who I was trying out and they came out running terrible. They were not running well at all. And he said to me, oh, you know, these are old and can't do much with them, yada, 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 yada. And I believed it. And I called up an old for me doing watches. The guy's great. And he said, let me take a look at it. And he took my antique Vacherons and they run. Per- I mean, I didn't think he could. So I was absolutely shocked. They run just great. So don't believe that. Old watches can be brought back with the right part. Parts are not available because the watch is old or the company is not allowing the parts out. And we talked about this in one of the earlier podcasts. It's really a pain and it's really makes it very difficult to collect because what if you buy, say, an older Vacheron, an older Paddock or Audemars and you need parts and you can't do it is to send it into them. And it costs you 1800 bucks. And I'm not kidding. It can cost you easily $1,800 to $3,000 to send it to them, redo it and all that. And some of the things they do when you send it in are not good anyhow. Like if your dial doesn't look perfect, they will. So you have to be on the watch for originality because now your dial has been restored. It's not original because same thing goes for Rolex. If you send a Rolex in and they think the dial looks lousy or not good enough, they will redo it. And some dials... Make watches worth a lot. Finality is big. And also there are dials like with Rolex. You have the red letters on there. If they redo it, that's gone. I want the same red letter. Careful when you send stuff in. Do you want things messed with? Um, I bought dials before that were fake. They weren't original and they were sold to me as original. So I know the difference there. Um, you want to work with someone that's going to disclose the truth about the watch. Not every single detail. I have the person nuts not going to work very well. So you got to be careful, you know, what you say and what you do, but you can send Vash factory, send them to repair shops here that are Vacheron, uh, licensed Vacheron. And that means very expensive jewelry stores. And they're going to charge you. And my guess is 800 to 1300 bucks. Now, if you've got the money to spend that, you know, God love you. I'm, I'm a collector. I don't want to spend that kind of money. Have to. I know where I can get my stuff fixed for two, three hundred bucks. I mean, the most I've paid, I think, is four for a real old, really much that had to be redone. Um, I think I told a story. I had a bash run that I found and it was said to me, the guy who had it said he couldn't repair it. He was in Europe and he said he took it in and the repair shop said, we don't have the parts. We can't do it. 
So I got a front poke. I had no idea what was wrong with it. Um, send it into a repairman that I thought was good. Kept telling me, oh, this thing, and it needs all kinds of parts. This is like an 80s Vacheron. This is not very old. The thin, nice dress, gold Vacheron. Manual wine. And he kept telling me, oh, yeah, it needs that, and, and I can't do it. And Long story short, a year and a quarter later, believe it or not, I went in and just got to have it back. He still couldn't fix it. And I took it back and said, I'm just going to dump it. If I can't fix it, I'll just take it. A friend of mine, who I knew for a long time, used to work for me. And he said, let me look at it. And a month later, it was fixed. He did need parts. And as I have said before, parts are very hard to come by these days for certain brands. They hold on to them. They won't let them out. If you're in the know like I am, I know that Vacheron, you're going to find this hard to believe, but pre-90s, pre-mid-90s, used movements from other makers. Remember I said this earlier? And I'm about out of time, so I'm going to finish this up. So they used a movement that was a jaeger Lecoultre Ebosch, which is the base, and then they did made it turned it into a Vacheron. Now that means jaeger Lecoultre has a version of the movement, and also Audemars had a version of this movement. It's a 20-joule high beach movement, which I'm told are hell to work on. It's a special movement. People hate it. So um, I got my phone and I said, look, I found a, a jaeger Lecoultre movement. Are these the parts we need? And he looked at it, he goes, this is what you need. So I bought the movement, came, gave it to him. Bingo, watch is fixed. So go figure, it needed a bunch of stuff and I got it all to him and the watch runs absolutely flawless. It all depends on who you know and what you, who you know, what you know. What do you know is right and wrong. For example, when I gave this man a couple watches, really good ones, and they came back running like hell, I said to him, these have position errors. Can you fix them? And he, oh, you shouldn't look at that. You know, I take care of everything and this is the best it is. Yet it's all BS. They run perfect. Watch out. What you do is you test somebody. You give them something fairly reasonable to work on and see how they do. And if it comes back good, great. And see what happens. But never throw everything at them because I was shocked. I really was. I thought this guy was going to be the best ever. And he was awful. Just awful. So Vacherons have come out with uh, sport watches in the 80s. The first one was called Phidias or Phidias. Bar was set by Audemars when they came out with the Royal Oak and everybody had to follow suit. And the Royal Oak is a beautiful sport watch. And it's the days. And of course, it did get bigger on top of everything else. It used to be smaller. So everybody copied. Paddock came out with the Nautilus. Vacheron came out with the Fis. And they're beautiful sport watches. So if you want a really high-end sport watch, you could buy a Paddock. You could buy a Vacheron. You could buy an all of them. They all chronographs and so on. Um, Vacherons, the good news is there's a lot of them running around. So there's a lot more than there are of Paddocks. If I go look at Audemars, the most I see is Royal Oak. Everything else, not so much. And it's all 60s and kind of, meh, not that exciting. A lot, big smattering of different designs, different eras. Um, Paddock, if you find older ones, they're usually pretty expensive if they're in good shape. So Vacheron, good value in watches. I don't want to pay through the nose. I want to get something reasonable, even if I have to bring it back. And I've done it many, many times, brilliant times. It's not that hard. Uh, but you have to know what you're doing. So if you listen to the show, you're going to get it all from me. I'm going to tell you what to do. We're going to discuss all of this just about out of time for this episode. So I think I'm going to say goodbye.
check in with me next time and see what we can talk about. Talk about paddocks next time. Or what would you like to talk about for that matter? You tell me. So this is Lee Jackson, America's Finest Watchman, signing off. Thank you so much for listening. This is episode 105. Thanks again. See you later.